0: ladies, and welcome back to the Sweet Tea Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Ariana. Hey, Taylor. And hello, everyone.
1: I'm very excited for today's episode. We're crossing into borders, cultures, and how
0: all of that comes together. Yeah, and we're also joined by the fabulous Melissa Ford. Melissa, can you give us a little intro? Yeah,
2: thank you guys for having me. Uh, my name is Melissa Ford. I'm a policy director at the Secure and Sovereign Texas Campaign here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, earlier today, you guys tried some really fun drinks. I won't give it away, but <laughs> let's go ahead and throw it over to you guys. Hey everyone, welcome to this part of the segment. Uh, Today,
1: Melissa brought us some awesome drink for this morning. Do you want to let me know what we're drinking? Yeah, so you told me to bring like a a food or drink Mm -hmm. item.
2: I explained to you that you can't really get Bolivian food here. Bolivia is so like... Unknown, I guess here. I've not been able to find any Bolivian food I have some frozen food at home, but it would have been very complicated oh, no. to like <laughs> Bring it here and bake it and all of that So I just decided the easiest thing would br- would be to bring you some tea nice. and the tea that I chose is Coca tea, okay, and the reason that I chose it it's because it's very like emblematic of Andean culture um, As you know, I grew up in Cochabamba. I grew up in Bolivia. It's right. That city is right on the Andes mountains and this is very Um, This is something that a lot of Andean people do. A lot of the indigenous population, they drink coca tea. This one is a little bit different than the coca tea that they drink uh, because they will just use like the full leaves of the of the coca leaf. And what's the difference for this one? This is like dried, dehydrated. Oh, Um, okay. So they just put
1: the fresh leaves in water and that's what they
2: drink? Interesting. Yeah, a lot of the time, like you'll put some sugar in it. Have you tried it that way? Yeah, I have tried it, okay. um, but this is very like, it, it's lost a lot of its components. Uh, a lot of people in Bolivia will even re- eat the raw leaf. Oh, wow. Um, you see people doing it all the time. It's got a lot of medicinal benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. I was explaining to you it's good that we're drinking this in the morning uh, because it helps keep you awake. So I would not drink it at night. I would not recommend drinking it at so night. It's really caffeinated then? Um, yeah, the leaf itself. Okay the herb itself um well that's kind of what i'm awake. looking for right now so, I'm hunger. <laughs> so this one's this nice. one's obviously a little bit different because it's not the leaf it's a
1: little bit hot still but i'm gonna try to give it it's a, very it's hot a taste. try not to
2: burn yourself okay. but you'll
1: notice it has like a very like
2: bitter flavor almost mm-hmm. it's not sweet kind of tastes like green tea
1: it does taste like green tea a little bit i like yeah. that yeah i did i tell you i'm not a coffee person or do no, you know I that about know me? That, no. Yeah, so I well, I I don't know why I just don't like bitter things. So I don't like coffee. I don't like beer. But I I go for tea if you I'm like going to go out with tea people. or like the more fruity tea. I mean, I like both. I don't know why that's that's the weird thing. Like with tea, I just I like yeah. all of the the herbal taste especially. I feel so. like, I feel you. Yeah. Like. So, um, how long did you live in Bolivia? My whole life, um, Mm -hmm. basically until I moved to the U.S. for college.
2: So I lived there until I graduated when I was 17. I moved here to start college and then basically lived in Texas and then D.C. for a couple of years. I moved back to Bolivia about two years ago. Um, at the tail end of COVID, just because I started working remotely, oh, okay. and so I were figured... you still like working for? Because uh, you worked in DC under the mm-hmm. Trump administration, right? Yes, during okay. the Trump administration, we were actually never remote, and we never stopped working during COVID. Okay, that makes so sense. So it was a little bit after the Trump administration. I got my first job post White House, and did that for about six months in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started working remote just because there was never anyone in the office. I started doing it from my apartment in DC. And then do your parents still live in
1: Bolivia? Yes. So you got to be closer to them while you were remote? Right? Yes, okay, Yeah. Gotcha. so I
2: moved back home. Yeah. Um, I was engaged at the time, too, to my current husband, so I just really wanted to be closer to family, to, to him, to my friends, and so that's why I moved back home, and then after we got married, we moved back to the U.S., and now we're in Austin. Nice, but you yeah. used to
1: have your summers here in Texas, right? Like you, Texas yes. wasn't new for you growing up.
2: Yeah, so I... Not a lot of people do this in Bolivia, but I went to an American school, which is like a gotcha. small private school where they teach you English and all of that. And so we is actually one w- of those like
1: international
2: schools. Yes, okay, exactly. Yeah. So you still do like some classes in like Spanish and other stuff. Um, and you'll you will like learn foreign languages, but they stick to the same schedule as we have here in the U.S., which means that you have your summer off. Nice. Whereas in Bolivia, we have like a calendar year school schedule, so you'll get like December and January off. Okay. Um, but because that's our summer, right? Yeah, that, that, that makes so sense. And w- so I went to an American school that had the American calendar, meaning we had June and July off. And so we would just come here for the entire summer. Not here to Austin, but we would go to Paris, Texas, because that's where my dad was born. And gotcha. so I grew up coming to Texas. Um, I grew up loving Texas. That's when, that's why when I graduated from high school, it was really like the only option to choose for college, and that's how I ended up in Texas.
1: Do you? What do you think about yourself now that you've lived here for a few years, you've like been back to Texas. Do you consider yourself to be Texan or Yeah. how does that impact you?
2: I guess I've always considered myself to be Texan. Like I've always even told people growing up because I am half Texan. right? Yeah. My dad is Texan, my um, mom's Bolivian. But it's just kind of like a lot of people will talk about what it's like to have like two nationalities because here people consider me Bolivian. And in Bolivia, a lot of p- people are like, oh, she's American. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not either. Like, I'm both.
1: So, yeah, it's I, I consider myself Texan now. I, I always have. So what, what made your... Um, you were obviously going to American school beforehand. Yeah. So what was that transition like whenever you went to college? And what was that motivation to, to want to do something here in the U.S.?
2: Um, so I guess...
1: Bolivia has, I'll talk about
2: all the attributes that Bolivia has, but it doesn't have a lot of opportunity The schools there aren't great. The jobs that you can get there aren't great unless you your your family has like a very successful business And so my dad worked in foreign aid. He retired from the US government My dad my mom worked as a local hire, and then she just pretty much stayed at home Um, and so she had like other things that she did but um, I guess there wasn't much opportunity for me there if I stayed, and so I knew that if I came to the U.S., there would be a better education, uh, better jobs, uh, a lot more opportunity to do something with my life. And so my parents never really gave me the option. I think obviously it was implied that
1: that's what you would end up doing. Yeah, yeah. and
2: and they're you know they're alone now, so I think they always wanted to. Have me home with them, and they get so excited when I when I go home. I was just home last week, and so they always want to keep me there. But at the same time, they know that there's not a lot of future in Bolivia right now, unfortunately. Maybe one day that will change,
1: yeah. um, but that's never really been the case. And um, we're probably going to touch on this more in later on whenever we meet up with Taylor. But is there um, mm-hmm. was part of like what you saw in Bolivia and like knowing that the economics status and the way that people live there was mm-hmm. that part of your motivation to go into policy specifically and whenever you do you yeah. start your career here
2: yeah no 100 percent. i think that even when i was little i knew that i eventually wanted to work in something that could help people and that could create change and i think a big part of that was that's what my parents did like my dad was a public servant his whole life since he graduated from school and my mom did that too and so i think Ever since I was little, I knew I wanted to go into somewhere in that line of work. Um, But growing up and then going to college and seeing what happened with Bolivia, Bolivia went from being like a great country, at one point was a very rich country, uh, to being a very messy and a very dysfunctional socialist country under the, the regime that we were under, under the dictator that we were under. And so I think seeing that just, you know, makes you think differently it makes you think in a different type of way and that's when i realized like i really want to be in policy um and so i think living in bolivia growing up in bolivia seeing the effects of socialism have made me want to go into this line of work
1: yeah that's fantastic i'm excited to get into that a little bit more with you and then also talk about what your job here is at tbpf which is working more closely with border and secure
0: and sovereign texas so awesome let's move on to, to meeting up with taylor Wow, ladies, that looked like a good time. Great story. Um, What were those? What was that tea that you guys were drinking? It's a coca leaf tea, right?
2: Yes. So I brought in like the the tea bags because those are the easy ones to get. And those are the ones that you can get here and bring in here. But normally it's very proper of like Andean culture to consume the coca leaf, uh, which does it taste like chocolate? No, it's not. It's not like cacao leaf. Oh, it's sad. It's like it's closer <laughs> to green tea. Actually, it's oh. just like an herbal leaf that people will. They can they consume it different ways. You can chew it. Um, you can put it in tea. You can do different things with it. But I brought,
0: like, the dry, dehydrated leaves just ah. so you can get, like, a taste of it. Actually, yeah. question. Okay, so I when I was out in Colorado uh, skiing, I was at, like, this little, like, ski village. And this girl, like, in a hostel. And they had, like, this communal kitchen. And this girl had, like, this jar but mm-hmm. she put all of these like leaves mm-hmm. like green leaves at top and then it was heated and she just soaked it and would like sip out of a straw would that have been oh. coca leaves
2: no it wouldn't have because you can't you can't actually get the leaves here um i think I was... she brought
1: them from her home country you're talking about um it's called mate right Yeah, it's probably yerba here. mate
2: mm-hmm. oh yeah which they also do in bolivia but you actually even if you bring them like
0: you won't be able to bring them yeah, through international really yeah. throughout like
1: different parts of Latin America, and they do it
0: slightly differently in different places. Okay, so yeah. this one like you can't bring over the border. You can't because well,
2: why? if you have the raw leaf, uh-huh. if you add like a ton of chemicals and uh. put it through a long process. That's what's used to make cocaine. Well, that makes sense. Coca leaves. Cocaine.
0: Yeah, but if you have
2: like the dry dehydrated dehydrated leaves, they're completely medicinal. I was telling Ari, that's what people will use for different purposes. So uh, it'll keep you awake. A lot of people do it because it keeps them awake. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that work long hours, like security guards, will chew it um, because it staves off hunger as well.
0: Interesting. And
2: if you have like people coming to Bolivia, going to our capital city, the highest capital city in the world we will give them coca leaves to chew on as well because it uh, helps with altitude sickness and okay a whole highest as an things. elevation because yeah. you're saying like medicinal it's the highest no. i'm like
0: wait hold on okay yeah. Okay, got it helps with altitude well in texas we have a tea and it's uh sweet, tea. Tea. It's sweet tea and we put <laughs> yeah. a lot of sugar in it and we love it <laughs> i love it yeah and you can you can i'm sure take that over the border anytime yeah bring it back easy yeah <laughs> amazing well let's go ahead and slip into our policy pulse
1: yeah, you can go ahead on that one, Taylor. <laughs> cool, 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 cool.
0: Um, so you sent us an article from the Texas Scorecard written by Valerie Mune- Mune- Munoz. Every time I get it wrong. <laughs> one more time. So Valerie Munoz is yes. the one who wrote
1: this article. Yes. <laughs> <at> Texas Scorecard. <laughs> Love it.
0: Great. Um, and I'm just going to read like a quick section for sure. our audience and then I'll have you speak to it. Sounds so good. So she wrote... Um, that TikTok is known for its strict regulations and censorship of content. Wow, guys, I promise I can read. (laughs) They even have a safety and civility section on their community guideline page that states that they do not permit human exploitation, quote, including trafficking and smuggling. However, TikTok seems to be aware of the account. This account, like, has been promoting, like, human smuggling. Um, So... TikTok seems to be aware of this account and has placed a disclaimer on one of the advertisements reading, quote, participating in this activity could result in you or others getting hurt, uh, end quote. End of the article. So it sounds like TikTok is just complicit in these different individuals using TikTok's account, like using their account to promote smuggling. Can you walk us through like what that looks like?
2: Yeah. So the reason this is so shocking and it's actually been happening for a while and we have campaigns here that work on that, right? Mm -hmm. Like our better tech campaigns work on holding big tech accountable, big tech like TikTok. Mm -hmm. But the reason it's so shocking is because it's so blatant and you can actually look it up on Google. You can look it up on TikTok. You can see the videos yourselves. But when I saw it, I was like very taken aback because a lot of these TikTok videos, Mm -hmm. what they're doing obviously it's not tiktok making it but it's tiktok that's allowing it to still be on there and to still reach more people Mm -hmm. but what you see in these videos are like handfuls fistfuls stacked up of like cash and they're advertising like oh this could be yours like reach out to us if you could help us with like some running some projects or stuff like that so they're basically advertising that you will get rich if you help a lot of these cartels and a lot of these operations with their human smuggling practices. And it happens a lot. It happens with underage kids. Uh, I. Can send you guys some examples of kids as young as 12, oh 14, that are being dragged into this. A lot of the, the kids, you know, American kids, because they see advertisements on TikToks that, that you can make quick and easy money yeah. if you help drive people from one destination to the other. It sounds very harmless, right? Wow. Yeah, but yeah. what they're doing is they're driving migrants. Um, they're driving people that are often being like, Smuggled through the border that are being abused by cartels um, so they can pin it on someone else, especially Mm -hmm. underage kids, because they wouldn't get the same kind of punishment that an adult would. So they're advertising to American
0: kids, like 17 year olds, say? Yeah, they're using
2: TikTok. They're using a lot of the time, they use Snapchat. You can find a lot of like screen recorded or recorded from other devices a lot of Snapchat videos where people are recruiting kids, they're recruiting American kids. And the reason I brought this up to you guys, and the reason that I think it's really important for people to know about it is they're coming, they're coming for for the US, they're coming for your kids, it's happening. And so I think it's important for for parents to realize how they're not going to be protected by big tech, and they can't depend on that.
1: I think it highlights just, like, another area of of the way that they're harming children. So it's not just the people that they're smuggling across that are being impacted by this. Right. They're also, like, making, like, American children into part of their criminal ring. Like, yeah. literally, yeah.
0: these, like, 17-year-olds are getting involved in, like, cartel business.
2: Yeah, 100 That's going to wreck their lives. It's going to wreck their lives, and it's very dangerous. A lot of these end up in... Uh... High speed car chases. Uh, A lot of those end in really bad wrecks. If you go to any border city, it's almost an everyday thing. We were just, our campaign was just in El Paso a couple weeks. I think at this point, it's been like at least two months since we were in El Paso. Um, But when we met with DHS there, they said that sometimes they have three of them a day.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah,
2: and they were are showing us the ones they're catching. Yes, yeah. exactly. And they were showing us footage of one going right past our hotel. Um it happens all the time and a lot of people end up being killed by this, either through crashes or they get hit or they get run over, or and, and you see a lot of these vehicles, they have like 12, 15 people in oh, a very my small gosh. car. And so when a wreck happens, a lot of the time it's deadly. So they're putting your
1: kids in danger. <laughs> were there any other like shocking things that came up while you were in El Paso that, um, that's happening at the border?
2: Yeah. Um, well, we were in the reason we were in El Paso was for the end of Title 42. And so Can you explain
0: what that is. Really yeah,
2: Title 42 was basically um, what was in place to limit the number of migrants that were being allowed in. It was a covid. It was a covid regulation um, to limit the number of migrants coming in for health reasons. And it was extended and it was extended. And under the Biden administration, it expired so that nothing would be in the way. And so we were there to see like what the border would look like. And There was a lot of surprising things for me. Mm -hmm. I had never personally been to the border before. Um, I obviously saw a lot of footage. I heard a lot of stories. But to be there in person and to see see it with your own eyes is really sad. Because you see people that are really desperate. Mm -hmm. And that will do anything to get across the border to the other side. Because they're being told that there's so much promise on the other side. And word spreads like wildfire. And we actually... Only a couple of us. I went with uh, the Mexico City reporter, David Algren. Mm-hmm. We I had taken my passport, so I had no problem going across the border. So I actually went into Mexico to see what the migrant camps look like. So we they have them camped on the other side of the border in Mexico? Yeah, like living on the streets for weeks um, until and, they sorry, get. these
0: migrant camps are just like people that have come from just not just mexico but just like anywhere
2: and that was very surprising to me because we saw people from from africa we Mm -hmm. saw people from central america um i speak spanish obviously so i got to talk to a couple of people that had come from colombia guatemala and they journeyed for months Mm. to come here because they heard people saying that the border is open and that you can come into the us and it's going to be easy for you to get a job and 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 they don't know the reality of it. And Mm -hmm. the reality of it is that the border is entirely controlled by cartels and they're not going to let you cross for free. People are indebted for many months after they cross or they have to pay it off some way or another. And there's a lot of injustice that's happening at Mm -hmm. the border right now. And um, what's happening right now is very inhumane and i always and so try to tell people that. different
1: types of, of um like sexual violence as well oh right? yeah like what are the percentages right now do you remember off the top of your head
2: i don't know the percentages right now i do know that a lot of the people that are most vulnerable to this are women and children mm-hmm. yeah and so but there's
1: far above the like majority of people like it's way higher than 50 percent of like women and children who are taken across the border are sexually assaulted in some way
2: it's almost assumed yeah. that it's going to happen. And I don't want to get you guys too depressed right now, but a lot of the stories that you hear from border patrol is just basically people cross, especially women, especially children, knowing that that's a price that you have to pay. Oh my god. And you see, you know, young girls crossing on their own who have been sent across to the US because they were given so much false hope, right? That like it's that easy, but they were sent across to the u.s with like morning after pills or situations oh, like that yeah gosh. it's very depressing but i think it's important to know like what's happening at our border i think yeah. we talk about it a lot more because we're in texas and we're in policy mm-hmm. and we hear these sad stories and people come to us with with these problems but i think that regular americans have to know too this is not just happening in texas yeah it's happening everywhere yeah. and you know the cartels basically have a firm grasp on like every city in America. It's all border towns now, not just Texas. And so, and then it's important the border towns to like everywhere
1: that. else is now starting to feel the heat of it. The border towns are even more severe than that because I grew mm-hmm. up like in uh, the Mission McAllen area, so super South Texas, and yeah. um. It's like really weird, even in the past few years, how much that's changed during different really? administrations. And yeah. How bad it's like the levels of danger have gone up and down at different points. But, like I remember of just a few years ago, um, in the early years of the Biden administration, whenever people were like pouring. Oh, in the Moore, very
0: beginning when he first got elected. Yeah, and there was yeah. exactly,
1: and so like it was in bigger numbers than ever before, and there yeah. was like a whole section of like underneath one of the highways that had to be like shut off to just like oh, wow. try to like to like manage yeah detain like some of these people because there was nowhere else to be able to process any of that and so that's like something that's directly impacting all of the people who live around it do you still
2: have family down there like what do they tell you about what it's like to live there now
1: so i mean it just depends on which part you're in on how severely you're going to be feeling it so um like it's it's really interesting how like some of the people who are like who've illegally immigrated in here it's been like from years and years before Mm -hmm. and so they're a little bit more like just a part of like daily life but then Mm -hmm. um, but whenever you have like if you have land that's right on the border we've like known people who have had um like um have had like full like roving gangs uh oh like, yeah cartels come through their their property and like one woman was talking about how she um she had like a playground in like the back of her, her oh, yard mm-hmm. and in the past she'd be able to like have her grandkids over and she doesn't even yeah. invite them out at all anymore, anymore because of all the people they found yeah so. i was
0: actually in mexico this last weekend and what um, part were you in. Well, Tulum, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> well, no, so it's still
1: all of the cartel stuff. They're not outside, like just outside of there, even in those areas. Oh, they're Oh, let me
0: tell you, I was shocked when we went to like a little beach club or whatever, listening to music and all of a sudden, like people were blatantly asking, like, uh, would you like cocoa, cocoa? Would you like snow? Would you like this? Would you like that? Like, do you want like full on just offering me? drugs and i was like no please get away from like it started stressing me out like is there yeah. going to be something like in my drink and my so that was really surprising don't be afraid to go to Tulum, guys. It's still great. I'm just saying, like, it is a little crazy. And like you could tell that, like, there were guys with guns, like, in the back. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm sure that's cartel. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't, like, fearing for my life. It was more just like, this is real. Like, this is actually happening. But
1: if you do get too comfortable in those areas, like, definitely stick to the touristy parts. Oh, yeah. Don't go off on your own into any of those other things. Because we've had the other part of living in the Rio Grande Valley and by a border town is you have – everyone knows at least like knows multiple people who have taken trips to Mexico because they they used to be comfortable with it and have gotten kidnapped at some point some of them end up making it back but like some of them Americans cannot. yeah that's we shocking have multiple because family friends who've like been kidnapped at some point and have either escaped in different ways or like had to be paid like ransom for like I think like a few for one of them like about a million dollars
0: so oh I definitely do not I, it's hard to imagine that like I've always I've always thought like it's hard to imagine that they would like abduct American especially like after that big scandal with like that woman who got abducted like from London or whatever with the long blonde hair and like it like the whole nation was in an uproar it's hard to imagine that like they would do that because I just can see like full court press America would just like come but, down on them
1: I mean it's a little bit weird because it's some people who have dual citizenship too and like they like you still
0: mm-hmm. are so they're like Mexican. constantly going back and yeah. forth, back and forth mm-hmm. the other thing that like really stuck out for my trip um, and this is going to be hopefully a little bit of a lighter tone. So my friend and I, we'd been to Tulum before and we were taking the girls downtown and we were in this neighborhood that's getting developed, that's nicer. Um, and so we're like, let's just walk to downtown with this big group of girls all dressed up. And I was like, it's fine, we'll be fine. And we were. But there was this road you have to pass through and that like was not developed, and you know, the people actually live there and we are like, it's 0.3 miles. Let's just walk through it. It's like the only way through that or we have to get a taxi. So we start walking through and we quickly realize like mistake has been made. Mistake has been made. I mean, it was like the girls were very scared to just be walking down this tiny strip. And like part of me was like, it's good for them to see this because it's like Mexico is like a second world country, right? Like it does have like all of these like parts of it that are... I don't know how to describe it. It's just it was just very eye opening and sad to see like how they live and like how underdeveloped it was like with like trash everywhere and like buildings not even fully like and like the yeah. there's like the road is all great. And like we felt like everyone was just like staring at us mostly like we felt like the men just like staring and like walking close to us. And I was just like, well, OK, that wasn't a smart move on our part. So obviously <laughs> we taxied for everywhere from after that. We were fine, but it was just a crazy experience to yeah. see.
2: Yeah, Mexico is very, I always say this, but Mexico is very misunderstood.
0: I like that. And yeah,
2: yeah, and so a lot of the violence and a lot of the crime is concentrated into very few areas. Mm -hmm. Largely, they depend, like a lot of these places depend on the tourism. Exactly. So they make sure that those areas are relatively safe. Mm -hmm. Um, But people will always come to me. I get this ask all the time. Mm -hmm. And they're like, do you think it's safe to go to Mexico? Like... um, there's this thing happening in Mexico City, but I don't think I want to go. Like I've heard the news stories and I always tell them the same thing. I feel much safer in Mexico City than I do in the U.S. Really? And I think that part of that is like a lot of the violence that happens here happens because of cartels. A lot of the lawlessness is in like liberal cities. Like Mm -hmm. downtown Austin is actually pretty dangerous, you guys. And I walk to and from work every day. Sometimes I leave late. Um, I don't always feel safe here. And it's interesting because Mexico City is so safe like you never hear of like bad instances mm-hmm. happening to the tourists except like maybe petty crime like if you have your phone out and someone snatches it True. but it's interesting because there seems to be like an an unsigned agreement that politicians and cartel members and all of the big names will send their families to live in Mexico City mm. and so it's almost like a an agreement that they have that like you won't do anything bad there yeah there won't be shootings in mexico city like you don't hear about like actual bad stuff happening there mm-hmm. um that's in the other areas of mexico that like so we would not go to
1: aren't there then it's like free reign basically
2: it's where the families live yeah it's where their families live it's where they keep them they know it's safe i walk everywhere in mm-hmm. mexico city when i'm there and yeah. i feel very safe i think what you were saying about like the people disappearing it's it's a reality um you never used to hear of someone being killed or someone disappearing in Mexico if they were American, because there was still respect for, for the U.S. back then. Uh, that's gone away. Uh, Mexico no longer respects the U.S. They no longer care to have a partnership with the U.S. Yeah. Wow. And so you're hearing about it um, a little bit more and i think though it doesn't compare to how many mexicans have to live with the violence yeah. in mexico right now under the current presidency there's a person going missing every hour um like if you a, could even a, a fathom me- like that, a mexican
0: citizen yes Wow.
2: someone in mexico disappears every hour
0: under lopez obrador the current president so you know it's getting bad <laughs> that's crazy all of this is like such a good transition into our pop culture principles um which like is normally a very upbeat section, but this is like so. This this movie came out, The Sound of Freedom, mm-hmm. um, and it is a movie. Like, have we all watched it?
1: Yes, mm-hmm. I, I thought yeah. it was done so well. Yeah, and definitely highlighted an issue that I don't think has been like actually highlighted enough by the media.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So it's about um, this guy, this federal agent, rescues this boy from um, child traffickers and just realizes that in his job he's just like i like and then he has like step away from it right like remind me like it's it's been a hot second he has he like goes on to like his next job or whatever and quits his job and then he's just so like yeah and then eventually he gets to the point where he's like i like i have to go back and continue helping and solving this problem so he leaves his job as a federal agent to go rogue and just Handle it himself. I like this one line. It says he quits his job and journeys deep into the Colombian jungle, putting his life on the line to free her, the the main the girl, like the main girl in the show, from a fate worse than death. I love that. That's very dramatic. (laughs) It's very dramatic.
1: But it is what happened. And like that's crazy. Like every this is just one of several stories that he has about like the the rescue missions that he's taken as
0: well. Oh yeah, that's the other important thing. This is a true story. Yeah. Yeah. This is a true story. That's the other cool thing. So talk to us about, like, the film part. um, Cinematography.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it was actually made years ago, and it just had trouble with distribution. If I'm not mistaken, it was actually originally owned by Disney to some extent. No way. Um, Yeah, I I don't remember how how much of the rights they had to do if they just participated in some of the funding, Um, but for some reason... People in Hollywood did not want this story to be distributed. So and weird. it was for like five years. Five they years. Able, yeah, yeah, five years they weren't able to get distributions until Angel Studios were eventually able to buy and publicize it. So um, it's... Yeah, it, but it was made years ago. And then finally now that it's had its release, it's done incredibly well. I think it did end up like... um end up like beating out indiana jones not only on multiple nights i think it ended up grossing more than it as well so oh, yeah it was like making way more than these other blockbuster films and yet it wasn't advertised in the same way that other films are yeah, it wasn't getting media. attention it wasn't they like oh check out talk this new shows. movie exactly yeah and so it yeah. was um really pushed to the side and which is like a. a do you think it's thing. interesting
0: though how like the Barbie movie gets all this attention and it's very much like I mean don't get me wrong like I loved the whole like yeah. pink and we have, we've already discussed that but like the fact that the Barbie movie is getting so much more attention when people have said like I didn't understand the plot line it was a little woke like it did push like an agenda but like whatever that's getting more attention than this true story and it's made well it's not
1: like because I know like some like uh like christian films for example even if they have good messaging they're not usually like if you're just comparing it like as a movie they usually don't hold up yeah this one here that's like based on a true story yeah Yeah. it's actually super well made um so i i think like acting was great Mm -hmm. Uh, the fact that they were like um and i i think they also handled it really ethically the way that they like were able to use these child actors but they normally weren't telling them what was actually happening in it so point yeah they did a great job um if I had any critiques, it would only be on the, I felt like the music wasn't mixed as well as the rest yeah, of the movie. Yeah, you get it, Ari. Right. You you <laughs> critiqued
0: that film. But the rest,
1: but it was actually real. But if that's my only critique, everything else was done so incredibly well that it's, it's crazy that it's had to be a like a grassroots movement to find mm-hmm. a movie like this and
0: promote a movie yeah. like this. Yeah. Melissa, what did you think about the movie? What resonated with you?
2: It actually, I think a lot of people were so surprised that people weren't talking about the movie, that people weren't like, you know, they were surprised that it sold more than Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones, but that it wasn't being promoted. Mm -hmm. That actually doesn't surprise me as much because like working on a lot of these issues that we work on. People don't like to talk about them, right? They're very uncomfortable to talk about. And so it wasn't surprising to me that people didn't want to release the movie, that people were, like, against the movie. And that's very unfortunate, right? Because it's important for people to know what's happening. It's important for people to realize that, like, children around the world are not safe. Mm -hmm. And that's not only with what's happening in the Colombian jungle That's in general. That's with kids in the U.S. That's with kids at the border. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of injustice going on. But I also thought the movie was really well made. I would encourage anybody to go watch it. I think it's important for us to be aware. Mm -hmm. And I unfortunately have also realized that a lot of the time in the U.S., like people have no idea what's going on anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Like it's easy to live in a bubble and... I guess I would just encourage people to like step out of that comfort zone and know more about what's going on around the world. Learn
0: more about like what's happening at our border. What's, you know, what's happening everywhere else. Yeah, and there's a lot of great organizations out there that do phenomenal work with this sort of stuff. Um, I personally, I'm the, so uh, Enneagram One over here for (laughs) anyone who knows what the Enneagram is. I am very much oriented by um, like, moral perfectionism and justice and when I saw this I like I remember talking to my dad and telling him that you know being raised in Texas I was like dad like I want to join the military like I want to go into those situations and I used to talk about how and I mean obviously like as an adult I understand how foolish this is don't get me wrong like this is my little like uh teenage self idealizing I was like I could get like You know, I could be an underground agent and I can go into the trafficking ring and I can go in there and I'll just be super strong and I'll just I'll get all of them. And "Ah!" And I was like, you know, as you grow up, you're just like, oh, my gosh, of course, it's like I think that's in a lot of people's hearts. Like you want to go and you want to fix the problem. You want to be you want to save them and and, you know provide justice to those people and those kids and those women. Um, and then, you know, you grow up and you realize, like, it is so much more complex than you yeah. think. It is not that simple. This has been going on for a long time. But it's just really inspiring to me that a guy went out and just did it. Like, yeah. to me, was just so epic. It sounds like fiction. It sounds like fiction to the point where, like, I almost forgot and I was like, Wait, wait, Ari, this is a true story. Wait, yeah, <laughs> yeah this yeah. happened. And
1: this is just one of several ones. And in other interviews that he's been doing, he's been talking about how, like, there's even
0: crazier stories than this one that he's and he, just and gone. The, the act, like, the actual not the actor, the um, the actual guy, Yes, yeah. based on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forget his name,
1: Tim but. Ballard. Yes, Tim Ballard.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, is, uh, is anyone shocked that his last scene's Ballard? <laughs> no, Ballard. Oh. Well, if his last name was Valor, that would be. I was like, off. "How poetic is this?" Yeah. Well, well, well. Me and my names, I just cannot are pronounce. The, are the stories of like children being
1: impacted by by some of this stuff like part of why you decided to go into policy? And well, I'm sorry. What was the question? Oh, like when whenever you like knew about like these stories of like. The way that, like, there's human smuggling that's happening and different types of, like, sex trafficking. And, of course, some of that overlaps with, like, the what's happening at the border now for the availability of it. Mm-hmm. Is that part of what motivates you to continue to, yeah. to be part of policy? No,
2: that's a great question. Unfortunately not, because I didn't know the extent of it. And I think that a lot of regular people don't know the extent of it. And so I went into politics for different reasons. And then, especially once I got to talking about the border and some of the horrible stories that happened at the border, like I was horrified. Yeah. But they're not normally things that you hear unless you're in that policy. And so it wasn't like... I heard about all the injustice going on with children and I was like, oh, I need to do something to fix it. Although like Taylor, I understand even me watching the movie now, I'm like, I have to change careers. Like, yeah, I have right? to do, you know, like
0: <laughs> I want to be an agent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like
2: in, and, and it's normal for you to think that, but that is not what made me go into policy, but it's kind of what's making me stay. Like mm-hmm. it outrages you and you want to do something to fix it. And I think a lot of people don't know what they can do. I would say like you can start right at home. Um, You know, like we live in the US Mm -hmm. and one way that you can help children from being abused and victimized is at the border. Like I always tell people the actual humane thing to do if you care about children being smuggled and if you care about migrants is advocate to close the border. Mm -hmm. Uh, People get very outraged whenever You say something about closing the border or building the wall or about doing anything, the buoys, like doing anything to place a little bit more control over the border because they think it's racist. They think it's anti-immigrant. It's actually pro-immigrant. You're keeping immigrants safe Mm. if you are directing them towards points of entry because then they're not being exploited and pushed into the grasp of the cartels where they could do whatever they want with these migrants and they do and So I think one way, you know if you want to help children um, Close the border Mm -hmm. a lot of children, you know We talk about it with Josh all the time He's told me some really horrible stories about what's what he's seen happening to children at the border but children are abandoned in the heat Uh, Children are abused. They're sold into sex slavery. And this is all happening because right now there's no resources at the border to do something about it. Mm. And so that's one way to start. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, your political career, though, started back when or like your interest in it, you started in college, right, pursuing some of that?
2: Yes. Well, my interest in it started when I was really young, just because my dad was a public servant. Uh, He worked for the U.S. government. He worked for uh, alternative development in Bolivia, and he worked for, like, international development. So basically, like, aid to poor countries. Um, And so I've always been interested in it. Mm -hmm. My mom was a local hire down there in Bolivia for the embassy. So they both worked in public service. And so it was kind of instilled in me since I was really young. I always knew I wanted to go into something in that field. I wanted to do something that would help people and would create change and never knew what that would look like. And so I actually started college and I had no idea what that looked like. I was undecided. (laughs) <laughs> for like a year. And then finally, you know, I decided that I would do economics because economics is is one way to do it. That's what my dad worked in, um, in Bolivia, like basically giving people the tools to be able to help themselves, right? Not just handouts, but a hand up, being able to help people start their own businesses and like knowing what it's like to manage their money. And so that's what I started in. And there's a lot of overlap with what that looks like related to politics and so i eventually got really interested in politics and did like economics and political science yeah. and then always knew that i would want to work in policy
1: it, and eventually you ended up at the white house yeah administration and while you were there um you said something that i think will lead us into the conservative council um whenever you you were there you mentioned that that's whenever you first started to or like part of when you started to hear more people question You as like someone from Latin America, but also a conservative and your values with that. So I know that a huge thing in college now is if you are conservative and you're like if you're uh, Hispanic, people are start saying comments about making comments about that. And what what do you recommend if people are in that situation? How did you deal with it?
2: Yeah. So part of it is being like Hispanic. Part of it's being a woman and part of it is just existing. But I'm (laughs) sure you guys have gotten it. Men get it. Everyone gets it. Like, if you are conservative, if you think differently than what people think that you should think like, you'll be attacked. And, you know, we've all been there. Lost friends, lost, yep. lost people over it. Um, I think for me, starting at the White House, it wasn't as bad as maybe it would have been for someone from a different country. And I'll tell you why. Bolivia is very conservative still. We have a socialist president, but socially Bolivia is very conservative. It's largely Catholic. Um, People aren't like liberal in their way of, of living. And what's happened with us having, you know, a socialist regime for so long is people have grown to hate it. People have grown to like love the idea of America and the fact that it's capitalist and that you can get a job easily and that you can keep the money you make and the land Mm -hmm. that you purchase. And so funny enough, like you'll go back to Bolivia. The first time I went back home for Christmas after I started working in the Trump administration, I felt like I was hiding because my friends from college, my friends from the U.S., Unfollowed me, they sent me aggressive messages. They were like, You are racist, you're working for the Trump administration. How dare you? You're Hispanic. He says he wants to build a wall. I got more backlash from them. I went back to Bolivia like hiding my face. And people would come up to me even when I was like out in coffee with my mom. Because my mom posts everything that I do on Facebook. That's so great. So her (laughs) friends, like my friends that had found out that I was working for the Trump admin, were like, Trump is my hero. Like, yes, like people are very obsessed with Trump in Bolivia, especially like a lot of the kids that I, I went to school with are kids who whose families have businesses and they've seen how hard it is to not only start, but maintain a business in Bolivia. It's almost impossible. So people that have been like personally very affected by the socialist regime, by the authoritarian president that we had for so long. People that have seen, like, their families face so much injustice in Bolivia, they saw Trump as, like, a savior almost, which is kind of funny. But I still get it. You know, in Bolivia, like, I still get people saying, like, oh, I remember you used to work for Trump. Like, maybe he'll come back in 2024. It's <laughs> so funny. So I, I don't think that I face it the same way that, like, maybe someone that living in Mexico would have. Or maybe even people like you guys, like, living in the U.S. would have. Because yeah. there's a lot more stigma around that there. That's but I'm sure you guys have gotten comments. The other,
1: the other big thing that's, like, a good advice piece that I think you'd be able to speak to is your. And you're like, you're still in your 20s, and you have a very successful career, right, so far in what you're doing, which is really impressive. Um, And the thing that I think would be uh, really helpful to people is I think a lot of younger women, and then even throughout most of your career, struggle with imposter syndrome. Mm. So like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I have imposter syndrome all the time where you feel like, oh, maybe I don't deserve to be here, or like, like I'm not doing a good enough job. And uh, I feel like that sometimes people limit what like, trying new things and, like, applying to programs because they don't feel like they're... that they have the skills necessary for that. So, what is it that yeah. you do to to overcome that and be where you are?
2: I don't know if I've overcome it yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, even if it's you have a it, what do you but you're like, um, you're going to a program really soon in uh yeah. in Spain that you got into, yeah. Um, so, w- what is that program called again?
2: It's the Jovenes Líderes de la Iberosfera.
1: And you said it's only 10 Wait, of let you Let me guys. try to pronounce that. Um, <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> but you said there's only 10 of y'all yeah I think
2: so I don't know the exact number yet but I this is the third class that they've done it Mm -hmm. with and the other classes have been like around 10 people So
1: so even if you like feel like you have this imposter syndrome what is it that you choose to actively step out step out of that and push yourself more
2: I think it's something maybe you guys can speak to it as well but like doesn't fully go away like going into the program I'm still like oh my gosh like they don't know they don't know yet like they (laughs) they made a mistake and like part of it is like i got good recommendations from people here and people that i've worked for here um that allowed me to get into the program so sometimes i'm like that's the only reason i got in but it sounds like you that. just
0: say yes which i, I just think say yes like, to everything but, yeah it's just like you're presenting opportunity and it doesn't sound like you allow your imposter syndrome like fear that's swirling around to say it. like yeah. oh you can't go like don't do it you're not good enough like okay i guess i'll pass you're like uh maybe i don't but i'm doing it which just do it yeah, and like just do it you know what
2: maybe it won't come out exactly like you would have wanted it to like when you get asked to be on a podcast you're like maybe I'll say something really stupid but just say like I'll just say yes to any opportunity prep as good as you can and just do it like that's what I would encourage everyone to do it's something my mom always told me but like say yes to everything and like things will come to you and like That's kind of how I ended up at the White House. Like, there was this opportunity for me to do, to finish my last semester in D.C. and It kind of fell on my lap and I did it. And then the internship kind of fell on my lap and I did it. And then they offered me a job. It's just like a sequence of things just like being offered to you and you saying yes. But does it go away? When I started at TPPF, I've never felt like more of that imposter syndrome because people here are so smart. And I was like, not understanding A lot of the things that were being like explained to me and I was seeing like how people talked even in a social way is so (laughs) intelligent. Yeah. I was like, I feel like I don't belong here. But, you know, it doesn't go away. Just make sure
0: that you say yes to every opportunity that comes your way and good things will come. Yeah, I like I like that second part of your advice where it's like, don't look at it as like. I am a you know junior in college and I want to work in Washington, D.C. in the White House. Like, how do I get to that gi- giant step? Like, there's no way. But what I just yeah. heard from you is that it's like little steps yeah. saying yes over and over again, working hard, being diligent. Yeah. And eventually you'll look up and find yourself at the top of the mountain.
2: Yeah, just try to, you know, always step out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. I
0: guess. It's not always easy, but... Well, that's awesome. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us and hanging out. You did great on the podcast. You didn't say anything wrong. So (laughs) cancel that fear out. Um, Why don't you do a shout out for the podcast that you're on? Because you are also the host of one. Oh, thank you. I would have forgotten that, but I... Would encourage everyone, uh, me
2: and my boss, Joshua Trevino, we have a podcast every about every two weeks on Mexico policy, uh, U.S.-Mexico relations, what's going on in Latin America now as well. And so it's called Hard Country. And I would encourage everyone that's interested in that stuff to listen to it.
0: Thank you. I almost forgot. <laughs> Absolutely. We are totally going to do cross promo on this podcast. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks, thanks for having Ari. me, guys. It has been so fun.
1: Yeah. I'm excited for our next episode. Yep. We'll
0: see you guys soon. See y'all.